Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 13th of September, and this is Govindra Jayati Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top reports and themes for the day: inflation moderates to about 6.8%, but cereals, pulses, and vegetables levels are still high. Mid-cap and small-cap stocks are pounded in the stock markets, and the core report hinted so. The iPhone 15 that will be sold in India will be made in India too. And the United States is launching fresh rounds of COVID vaccines. Should India take note? This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Inflation cools off. Inflation levels have cooled off to about 6.8% in August on an annual basis after hitting a 15-month high of 7.4% in July. Data released by the Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementation on September 12th showed food price inflation, the number that we are following more closely, was at 9.9%, down from 11.5% in July 2023 or the previous month. Analysts, by the way, had expected inflation to remain high in September and closer to 7%. or much higher than or a little higher than what actually came now we need to dive a little deeper vegetable inflation was at 26% which is down quite sharply from the 37% in the previous month i don't know if you're experiencing this but this is what the numbers say this is also an outcome of course of the tomato effect prices of it falling that is from frightening highs now cereals and pulses are still holding high cereal inflation is at about 11.8% or closer to 12% compared to around 13% in the previous month cereals include rice and wheat pulses which includes the dals was about 13% or 13.05% to be precise as compared to 13.27 in the previous month of july a very marginal change indeed Edible oils continue to pull down the overall inflation number at minus 15%, but that's a little higher than the minus 16.8% almost 17% in the previous month. So while continuing to be in the negative, prices seem to be rising all by very slightly. Now, edible oil imports as we've been reporting are already hitting records and could lead to price pressures a little later as well. Interestingly, inflation in spices is still rising from 21.6% in July to around 23% in August. The numbers are again very small and the contribution of spices is also small, but the fact that they're rising seems to suggest that all of us are eating more of them. If not, of course, the prices are rising. Now, to understand the numbers and impact better, I reached out to Vivek Kumar, economist at Quantico Research, and I began by asking him his takeaways from these latest rounds of numbers. So we've got to compare two inflation numbers here July and August and when we are comparing July was a shocker in terms of the outsized number that came that sprang and to a large extent it was driven primarily by one or two and those commodities were largely in the food basket as we all know and that surge which happened in July has now started a mean revert so it's just a reversal of that surge that you saw in July has started to happen other side if you look beyond the drivers of inflation you know beyond these two or three commodities which caused that surge in july the story by and large remains the same you know look at core inflation core inflation has been decelerating it keeps on decelerating every month a bit by bit fuel inflation by and large is comforting continues to remain comforting the food basket if you have to exclude those high volatile items in the vegetables uh, space especially the tomatoes etc that i'm talking about otherwise the story still continues to remain the same so cereals pulses 
spices. These were the three culprits. In fact, they continue to remain the culprits. And the momentum in all these three items is pretty strong. The upward or the upside momentum continues to remain strong. So the picture hasn't changed. What has changed is those one or two commodities which went up sharply in July. Now you are seeing a mean reversal in Right. So exactly as you said, Vivek, so cereals is still high and it's it was about 13% and it's now about 11.85%. Vegetables, of course, was very high at 37% and that's now down to 26%. And similarly, pulses are also high. It's 13% now, 13.04 and it was 13.2%. So there's not much change in pulses. So now the question, therefore, is that if, as you say, there's only a mean reversal, so inflation numbers are still not good. I mean, they're not healthy, right? So they're not healthy, yes, if I have to remove the noise. But are they going to remain like this? Yes, that is what the next question is. If I have to, let's say, take a guess, this is what you want to ask, then probably I would say that we are approaching the favorable seasonal cycle as far as food basket is concerned. And typically Q3 of any financial year, you tend to see a seasonal correction in your food prices. So we are approaching that and we've got to keep that in mind. And if the volatile items subside before that favorable seasonality sets in, then you are entering that phase on a good note. So that's the only thing that I would say. That yes, there are pressures in case of cereals, in case of pulses, in case of spices. And these pressures, it's not that they've been known for the last two or three months. Cereals, pulses and spices are is, is a story which has been going on. So cereals started with Russia-Ukraine war. Pulses has been a source of discomfort, in fact, I would say for the last six months. And spices, again, has been a story which has been playing not for more than a year. So barring pulses, which is a six-month-old story, cereals and spices are nearly about a year-old story as far as inflation is concerned. And they've been continuing. Now... Is there an offsetting impact to this? So while yes, one corner of your food basket is rising, like cereals and spices, they've been pretty elevated, pretty strong in terms of momentum for more than a year now. There are other pockets of inflation which are kind of compensating for that. So if I have to take a broader perspective, then I, if I am to look at the entire CPI basket as such, so I do acknowledge that you have pain points outside the vegetables and fruits basket. But at the same time, there are other commodities which are kind of compensating. Like edible oils, yeah. Like edible oils, yes, you said that. And in fact, even the other sources of protein like meat, fish, etc. I think fruits as a basket has not been behaving very erratically. They will pretty well behave. Right. Vivek, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks, Blue. And mid caps and small caps are pounded. Just yesterday, as on earlier occasions, the core report spent some time narrating why the mid- and small-cap stock universe was on the edge. Yesterday, Kotak Securities said it was effectively pulling the plug on the mid-cap stock space because there was nothing else it could do or find any more stocks or ideas. So strongly had all these stock prices run up. Moreover, it cast some pretty direct aspersions on some stocks, particularly those involved in government contracts. And later yesterday, mid- and small-cap stocks indices fell sharply, up to 4%, much more or lower than the market as a whole. Incidentally, the day began with analysts dreamily speculating of the Nifty 50 hitting 21,000 by Diwali or in two months' time. I'm assuming that by evening, there was a bit of a reality check. A small one, perhaps. 
Now, 21,000 may well happen since we've hit 20,000, but that thought will mostly be paused for a few days or at least until later this week. And yes, the markets barely held their gains. The Sensex was up 94 points, around 67,221, and the Nifty was down 3 points at 19,993, below that magic 20,000 mark which everyone had been aiming and aspiring for. There was also an interesting and brief hiccup in the markets with auto stocks after Nitin Gadkari, Minister of Road Transport and Highways of India, said he planned to approach the Finance Minister, Nirmala Sitaraman, with an additional tax proposal on diesel vehicles of 10%. This, the minister said, would help phasing out older diesel vehicles, but he denied the statement later. The minister did say that there had been a decline in the production of diesel cars since 2014 and this is an interesting stat for you. At that time, they accounted for almost 52% of the total production. If you remember, the skew in diesel and petrol prices was such that diesel was much less. But now, they only make up 18% of car production. So, moral of the story, wait till a proposal becomes reality, I guess, before reacting. The new iPhone is set to crack it. Speaking of reality, the latest iPhone 15 that launched last night will be available in India and mostly made in India as well. Now, this was on the cards, but the manufacture of this has moved a little faster than perhaps what many expected. Bloomberg News is reporting that Apple wants to make the India-built iPhone 15 available in India and some other regions on the global sales debut day, which should be in a few days from now. While the majority of iPhone 15s will still come from China, This would be the first time that the latest generation India Assemble device is available on the first day of sale, they said. Apple's supplier Foxconn Technology Group began production of the iPhone in Tamil Nadu last month. For all the complexity in rerouting supply chains, there are some products where evidently things can move fast. This includes electric cars, by the way, though it might take a little longer for other reasons, including regulatory. Earlier, by the way, India's production was behind China anywhere between six to nine months, but that has changed to weeks. And we're still talking about iPhones, according to Bloomberg. Now, Apple has increased the proportion of iPhones it assembles in India to reach 7% at the end of March, and a more recent figure should come out soon. Meanwhile, as we discussed a few days ago, Apple products, including phones, have been banned for use by government agencies and state-owned enterprises in China. The impact of that on sales could be sharp and the news when it came out hit the Apple stock quite sharply on Wall Street. Speaking of production shifting, Mexico, if you've not noticed this, has now overtaken China as the principal exporter to the United States of America. By any stretch, this is an important development and of course has been in the making for some time. Mexico made up 15% and China made up 14.6% of US imports in July. Though why Mexico, which is right next door, did not occupy this status earlier is a subject for a different forum. Thanks to strong exports, Mexico has the world's strongest currency this year, says Bloomberg, and one of the best performing stock markets. Foreign direct investment is up more than 40% in 2023. And by the way, Tesla is yet to start building a promised $5 billion factory. The last time there was so much action in this region was when the North American Free Trade Agreement was signed in the 1990s. Separately, a few months ago, South Korea exported more goods to the US than to China last year for the first time in almost two decades, highlighting shifting trade patterns once again. Goods exports from South Korea to China fell almost 10% to $122 billion between 21 and 22, according to data released by the Bank of Korea in June and reported by the Financial Times. 
In contrast, exports to the United States increased by more than 22% over the same period to 139 billion. So, 122 billion exports to China and 139 billion exports to the United States from South Korea. So, all this signifying the shifts that are happening in trade routes. Now, some health news. The United States Food and Drugs Administration has cleared updated COVID-19 shots, which should protect against the latest versions of the virus now circulating if people get them, the Wall Street Journal is reporting. The vaccines, one from Pfizer and another one from Moderna, were green-lighted by the health agency on Monday for adults and children six months and older. The doses should be available at pharmacies, doctors' offices and other vaccination sites within a few days, if not sooner, after the Center for Disease Control or CDC recommends the shots as early as Tuesday, the Wall Street Journal said. Now, for most of us, it is a hope and desire that COVID-19 is distant history. The US move, however, seems to suggest it's still very much with us and we should be thinking about it, if not doing something. The more pertinent question, of course, is should India also think about renewing and reinvigorating its own successful COVID vaccine program? And separately, many of you travel to the United States. If new and improved COVID-19 variations are floating around, should you be worried and what should be your course of action? For answers to all these questions, I reached out to Dr. Chandrakant Lahedia, a medical doctor, infectious diseases and immunization public health specialist with long stints at the World Health Organization worldwide and other agencies. I began by asking him if India should take note of the fact that the United States or countries like the United States are launching new rounds of COVID vaccines. So the situation in US and situation in India, be it vaccines or be it epidemiological aspects, are completely different. For example, the US is using mRNA-based vaccine. And these are the vaccines which can be updated regularly and that's what they have been doing. So the scenario for US is very different as far as vaccine availability is concerned. Now, since they have vaccines, so they have approved the vaccine and most likely to the US CDC is going to recommend for some subpopulation for these new versions of vaccines. When it comes to India, India has used a different type of vaccines. They are like definitely the mRNA vaccine-based vaccines which are being used in the US are not there in India. Now, the vaccines which have been used in India have not been updated. Since there is no availability of different type of vaccines, so the question does not arise whether, whether we should use new vaccines. Now, other aspect is that epidemiologically also, that epidemiologically and programmatically, we have seen in the pandemic that U.S. approach to pandemic response and vaccines have been very aggressive. Like they have repeatedly used vaccines, booster shot, additional age group, in fact, even the younger age group beyond six months have been recommended the vaccines, which is not the scenario in India. So programmatic approach is also different. Third party that epidemiologically, like we have seen and we have been we have enough scientific evidence to argue that the India scenario was a prior natural infection followed by vaccination and that scenario is considered far better protection and long-lasting protection. And there is no counter evidence to argue that. But US scenario is very different. Like they, of course, had a very severe COVID-19 infection waves, but they had a vaccines before the waves. And that makes a difference. And so that their approach is another aspect in US is, for example, we know that with the time, the protection provided by either natural infection or vaccines decline. But that decline is marginal. Like you know, if it's a vaccine provide 91% efficacy, at the time it will come down to 85% or with the new variant, it will come down to 80%. Now, question arises whether that marginal reduction merits another shot or especially when people are vaccinated or shall we simply 
just let it go because a subsequent infection with a previous infection of vaccination is likely to be mild. So shall we give another shot to get another 4% benefit on vaccine protection? Or those are the kind of questions and how much will it cost? So for India, we don't have a different type of vaccines or newer subvariant type of vaccine. We have older vaccines. Until now, the available evidence provides that uh, we are holding fairly well on those vaccines. Right. So when you say we are holding fairly well, you mean that the variants are, of course, there. COVID variants are, of course, there in our air and environment. But we are either already resistant to them or just not getting them. Is that right? Well, you know, infections are happening. And we know that recently there are three different types of viral infections are going on, which is in flu virus, COVID-19, or SARS-CoV-2 virus is also circulating to a certain extent. And of course, in certain parts of the world, we know that our respiratory sensation virus is going on. So there are three viruses which are affected and viral infections are fairly common. But what we know for sure that though people are coming up with some kind of viral infections, but hospital admissions due to those viral infections of COVID-19 are not being reported. So when we know that vaccines do not prevent or protect from infection, they protect from severe disease or hospitalization. Now, when there is no hospitalization, whether vaccine or no vaccine, then what is the benefit of giving additional shot? So I personally don't see any benefit of additional shot when there is no admission, even if there is infection going on. Right. Last question, Dr. Ledia. So a lot of Indians travel and particularly to the US, old and young. So most of them would have traveled already in the summer. But if you're traveling there, do you need to be, I mean, all of this apply to Indians who are in India or people in India traveling out or should we be a little more careful? The key point here is that there is always risk of infections, viral infections and various viruses which are circulating. So now onward, like while public or wider recommendation for vaccination of entire subset of population or sub each group of population is not recommended. But definitely it is always beneficial that if there is some vaccine which is available and which protects from sudden infection like flu vaccine, individual can make a choice regarding they should get vaccinated. So in India, Fourth shot of COVID-19 vaccine is not recommended, so it cannot be administered theoretically. But there are other vaccines which can benefit adult population. Individuals who are traveling get those recommended vaccines, especially for those countries. COVID-19 vaccine, of course, the one which is available in US cannot be administered in India. But some people go to US and wish to get vaccinated will be individual choice. So individual choice is very different, but wider recommendation is not something which is advised for Indian population. Dr. Leria, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And that's it from me for today. Have a great day ahead. Do log in to www.thecore.in. Check out our newsletter, our website, listen to our podcast, of course. Send in your feedback and see you tomorrow. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>